If you really love Non-Corporate Girls podcast, make sure you join our private community on Zippy Stream. This is how you can get our latest updates, special offers, and check out bonus content all free. Whatever platform you're using to listen, click the Zippy Stream link in the bio, then share with a friend so they can join too. If you already have a podcast, hello, why not start your own private community on Zippy Stream? Use our promo code NONCORPORATEGIRLS and we will both receive seven days of free marketing and promotion worth over $50. That's a win-win. Again, use our promo code NONCORPORATEGIRLS and we will both receive seven days of free marketing and promotion worth over $50. Hey everyone, I'm Ayana. And I'm Delilah. We are the Non-Corporate Girls. We're the 9 to 5 and 5 to 9 me. Our podcast is a digital diary where we share our journey of being corporate professionals and entrepreneurs for the doers, creators, and believers. So are you non-corporate? Tune into the next episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Non-Corporate Girls. Hey, y'all. Thank you for joining us for another episode. We have a very special guest, and I'm so excited to introduce her. Kimberly B. Cummings is a leading career and leadership development expert and an accomplished speaker and podcast host whose mission is to empower women and people of color in the workplace. Her personal and professional development company, Manifest Yourself LLC, provides in-person and virtual workshops, trainings, and coaching to professionals looking to lead a dynamic career in life. Kimberly has had the opportunity to speak to and create workshops for many organizations, including the New Jersey Conference for Women, Elevate Network, Urban League, Princeton University, National Sales Network, South by Southwest, among others. She is also on the board of directors for the Power of You Teens organization. Next Move, Best Move, Transitioning into a Career You Love is her first book. And today we have her as a guest on Non-Corporate Girls, getting into her five to nine. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited to talk to you. We have a packed episode today. And just to let everyone know, this is episode 102. And the title of this episode is Be Intentional About Your Next Best Move. So before we get into it, Kimberly, what is your positive note for the week or month? So when you first said this, I was like, people are going to think I'm crazy, but I'm going to say it anyways. So I transitioned out of my full-time job in May to do my company full-time. And I've been struggling over the summer to feel like I was maximizing my productivity. And one day I just got out of bed and I started working at like 5.30 in the morning and it was like magic happened. And the crazy thing is when I was side hustling for years, I was only able to work from like 5 to 8.30 every single morning. So I don't understand why I didn't think about this sooner, but doing it for the past three days, I can do a whole day of work between like 5 to like 9, maybe 10. And then I can just take meetings and do other stuff during the day. So that's like my aha for this whole entire week. Like, I'm just going to put my schedule back almost like I was side hustling. Because that's when my brain just clicks. It works so much better for me. That's so cool to hear, especially because I feel like for any entrepreneur, um, the challenge is being um, 
like productive and disciplined with your time, right? Because there's nobody checking for you, nobody telling mm-hmm. you that you have to meet here. So we kind of have to like hold ourselves accountable. So that's really dope that you found that. Yeah, yes. for sure. And do you, so you love waking up early? Are you an early morning riser? So it's always a little bit of a struggle, always. But all I need to do is let my feet hit the ground. That is okay. it. And I literally, I mean, put on my house coat like an auntie and I go and I sit at my laptop and I just start hammering out work, all of my big thinking work. So I do consulting for other organizations. So whenever I'm building something out, doing a training, anything that takes like reviewing contracts, deep thinking, mm. that like 5.30 to 9 window, I'm killing it. Killing the game. Awesome. Well, that's a great tip. So thank you for sharing that. I think we'll all have to try it. Um, and so will our community because we have a lot of entrepreneurs and side hustlers in our mix. So getting into everything about you, first, we want to say congrats on your book launch. Your career has yeah. been flourishing, like we've been, we mentioned to you earlier, and it's been really great to see. But can you share just a little bit about like your career trajectory and how you got into like this leadership space? Yes. Yeah, so I think like anyone... I fumbled in the beginning, like, you know, just hoping something will connect. Um, I tell a story in the book about how I was getting jobs that were just as ambiguous as I was. I was a young professional who needed work. So therefore I got jobs for people who needed someone to do them. It wasn't necessarily because it aligned with me. It was because I needed a job. So they gave me something to do. Um, But the moment that it really clicked for me, um, the first intentional move I made was when I wanted to get back into higher education because I was thinking about, well, when is the last time I was actually happy? And back then it was like, well, I was happy on a college campus. I know people got to work there. So what could I do there? And I did admissions for a little bit. But then when I came into career and leadership development, the first time I saw a student get a job as a direct result of working with me, I was hooked. Oh my gosh. It felt in incredible to know that I was a part of their journey. I still talk to that student to this day. They are no longer a student. They, I think they've been in their job like eight, nine years now. Like it, it, It's a minute. Um, but that was my first foray. And I think I stayed in higher ed for about almost 10 years, working my way up through career services. I say that I work with folks who were age 18, who did not know what to do with their entire life, let alone just find a job or an internship, all the way through people who are in their 60s, trying to take all of their experiences together and do something that brought them joy. So after being in career services for eight, nine years, I moved into the corporate world, um, into a, a traditional corporate job at a Fortune 100 company. I served as a director of global diversity talent acquisition strategy in the financial services industry. And that is a very long way of saying that I built the strategy out globally to recruit, retain, and promote women and people of color across the globe. Um, and absolutely love that. And at the same time, I was side hustling. So I launched Manifest Yourself in 2013. Um, and it was much more of a blog. Uh, I think the tagline was an overachiever learning it's okay to just achieve. And then I felt like I was living two lives of just personal development and the career side. So I combined them. By 2017, I I think I got my LLC in 2017. And then slowly but surely, more speaking, more press, more opportunities, um, more coaching outside of my full-time job, um, more corporate clients. Um, and it got to the point by this year, right before the book launch, where it's like, okay, I have to jump. I had to make a choice because it was no longer possible to side hustle at all. I had two full-time jobs. 
Yeah, I, I actually checked out your episode that you mentioned, like you talked about your best move. And I was like, you know, it's always it's always enlightening to see someone realize like, OK, we're doing too much and this is how we need to realign ourselves and what that looks like. I mean, obviously, intentionality is the biggest word there, but it takes a lot of self-work to actually like realize those things and then make the next move that you need to make. So that was really great that you shared that. on your Thank episode. you. And it's hard. I think I still... I still say like my team, even though they're not my team anymore. A few of them called me today and FaceTime me. Um, I still feel like they're still my team. It would, the, for me, the hardest part to leave was leaving the team. I had built up a team of maybe seven or eight professionals. So I felt such a responsibility to develop them. As being in career and leadership development, I'm someone like I hire people to do your job, right? Just do your job. Do the tasks, and then I can mentor you. Then I can help you lead. Then I can get you to the next role. I'm excited to help people get to the next move. So for me, leaving the team, especially when I had hired quite a new, quite a few new people in the beginning of January, I was so that's why I was holding on. I was holding on, and I still, I still spend a lot of time talking to them. I can't help it. I mean, it's also fairly new, right? Like you just left. But what did you feel like? What was the weight that you felt lifted from yourself after you made that decision to actually leave and pursue this full time? So I think my situation is a little unique because I, my last day in corporate was May 19th. My book dropped on June 9th. So I didn't get this beautiful aha moment, like wake up and have my cup of coffee and look around. That didn't happen because Throughout the book tour, Mm -hmm. I was doing multiple events per day, multiple speaking engagements, multiple press. I didn't really slow down until August, but then I picked up corporate clients. So I tell everybody that maybe in December, I will kind of have that moment. I wake up sometimes, I'm like, I don't have a job. Like, I don't have a job, Um, but I'm still working super duper hard. I think in December, um, I'll feel it. But I will say, Starting in August, I started to restructure my schedule a little bit. Mm -hmm. And that's when I was like, okay, like I'm not a corporate professional anymore. This is my company. I get to build it how I'd like to, which means I can be a little bit more lenient with my schedule and not just run myself. I was used to having eight, 10 meetings a day. I worked seven to seven most days in corporate. So how I wrote a book and did everything else, I have no idea, but I worked all the time. But now I'm realizing I don't have to run myself to the ground. Maybe I don't want to take meetings on Wednesdays. I don't want to take meetings on Thursdays or I stagger things. So I'm slowly lightening up a little bit. I love that you touched on two things that we mentally want to talk about. First is your book. Definitely want to know like what that process was like and how you even decided to start a book. But then the second thing is your boundaries. How like what was that process for you to like reset and like have your boundaries and figure that out, especially because you're not in a corporate space anymore? Mm -hmm. Uh, let me do the boundaries first and then I'll talk about the book. I'm still working on boundaries. (laughs) Let me just say that it is something that I'm actively working on. And I had a conversation with one of my mentors because I was struggling. I was like, I literally can't get work done. And my mentor was like, yo, show me your calendar. I showed her my calendar and she said some four letter words in short, like what the is wrong with you? Like, really, what is wrong with you? How are you supposed to get work done? Why are you functioning like this? You have to break out of the mold that you've been in 
Mm-hmm. Like you can create what you want. And she literally gave me a template of the how to block my calendar. So I do meetings between certain times. I only do a certain amount of meetings per week. I have thinking times where I'm just thinking. I have times where I'm just working, different projects and really creating, I call it like my CEO calendar rules that I give to my assistant. And I stick to that to make sure that I have boundaries. I know even with y'all, I'm like, we talked about recording this podcast and I was like, nope, I shall not. I shall not record in the evening because I also start so early. So you also don't want me by the time it gets to that time at night. I won't be the same person um, because my day starts so early that I won't articulate myself that well at night. So I think the boundaries, partly it's leaning into what feels good to me. Whenever something feels inauthentic, I feel like I can't show up as my best self um, or I'm like humming and hawing over it. For me, that's a sign. Mm. Boundary needs to be here so that I can be okay. It's okay to feel good. I feel like sometimes in corporate jobs, in any job, not even corporate, when I say corporate, I mean like nine to five, I think we get conditioned to feel like you have to feel a certain way. Like feeling bad is normal. Feeling mm-hmm. uncomfortable is normal. And even in my corporate job, but as crazy as it was, I started to create boundaries too. I started asking, do you mind if we reschedule that, reschedule that for Monday? Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to be today. Or right. how about we make that 60 minute? Let's make it 30. Yep. 100%. And it's just that pushback. And I think that's, I've started setting boundaries. That took me a while as a professional to really get into. Um, that was probably the later last three years of me being in a nine to five where I was like, nah, nope, nope. You got Don't you feel so time. much more empowered? Oh my gosh. Girl, it feels good. I just recently was practicing that as well. Ayana, I feel like has done it longer and has said it. I've learned from her, I would admit. Um, but if you so you feel light and you feel like, wait a minute, I can have control of my time the way you have control of yours. Yeah. And then you always think that they're going to say no. But yeah. I found nine times out of ten, they say yes. They're like, you know, I really can't meet today at five o'clock. Can we do nine o'clock tomorrow morning? Sure, not a problem. I'd love to get off and go to happy hour too. Like, why have you been doing all these meetings at that time? For me, like y'all know I'm a morning person. I'll take a meeting at eight or at seven mm-hmm. before I take a four, five, or six o'clock meeting any day of the week. Sometimes it's just all you have to do is ask. Yes, a hundred percent. You have to train people how you want to be, how you want them to work with you. Exactly, exactly. And I know your first question, I flipped them, was about the book. Um, writing a book is probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in my entire black life. It was hard. (laughs) And I don't think people say that enough. Um, how difficult it was. I think also granted I was working full-time running my business full-time. Like I was just doing the most, Mm -hmm. but it was difficult I think part of it is that I was a blogger for years. So I'm used to writing pieces that are 500 to 750 words. I'm a speaker. So I have an hour and I want you to get action. I give you the actionable, step, actionable steps. However, when you're writing a book, you got to explore. You got to tell people the story, mm-hmm. the journey. I had to almost double my word count when I put my first manuscript in. Because they're like, girl, there's not enough here. <laughs> like. This book is going to be like, y'all can't see me, but this big, like it's going to be like a little manual. It's not going to be an actual book. So I worked with an editor who was fabulous um, to help me expand my stories, dig deeper, um, get personal. As much as I share, I think I realize I don't share a lot. I think people know very key things about me 
And I don't share more than that. Not even intentionally, because if you give me a mojito and we get happy hour together, like I'll probably tell you my life story. But in speaking and interactions, I don't really share as much. I give you advice. I give you action. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was definitely a difficult process, but I think I'm so grateful that I was able to do it and fortunate. Traditionally publishing was something that was very important for me to do. Um, So I'm very excited that I did it. And for me, it was because I average probably like between 50 to 75 speaking engagements a year and now more because of the book, but because I speak so much, I can only do, but so much in 30 minutes, 60 minutes, maybe I'll get 90, but a book is something you can take with you. It is affordable. You may not be able to work with me individually or in my group programs or bring me into your corporation, but you can get a book. It's 1995. You can get a book. You can highlight, you can rinse, repeat all of it. Um, Get it from the library. It can be free. Um, so that was very important to me to give something back to my audience. And how long did it take you to complete your book? Um, I signed the book deal in April of it's 2021 when it published. So April, 2020, um, I fumbled and thought I knew what I was doing until maybe like end of July. And then I hired um, someone to help me do my, my outline, Jasmine Womack. She's incredible. Got me on like a much better writing schedule, the whole nine. And I wrote, submitted my manuscript by September, realized I didn't do anything right. And then I hired someone else to help me do all the words until December. I think it was final by February. And then the book came out in June. So it was fairly quick. I think next time, because I am working on book number two, I want to give myself a full year and I want to structure my life. So I'm really focused more on writing versus all the other things. Yeah. I see it happening though, because you're already weaning off certain things. So you'll, you're going to yes. get there. Yes. Right? And you already learned from how you did it the first time. So what, oh, yeah. you know, what to do is going to be <laughs> probably much more seamless. I sure hope so. So transitioning, I know we spoke about like the book and giving people that access who can't speak to you directly, but for um, people that do get to speak to you and have consulted um, with you, what is some commonalities have that you've seen from the people that you have worked with um, that they come to you with? So the first thing I'll say is that everyone believes that their situation is very, very unique Mm. and that because they are at this company for this amount of time, or because they just started to do this, they feel like it's so different. So they did not apply things that they learned or heard because they felt like they couldn't because it was different. But from working in, I've been coaching people since 2011. Most of the time, the scenarios are all the same. Mm. And how you apply it is the same. The actions you can take are the same. Then there's a lot of hesitancy because people feel like it has to be so customized. But when you get down to the basics of career and leadership principles and conversations you can have and advocating for yourself, a lot of it's the same. What you are applying is the knowledge of the politics and the culture in your organization. Most people come to me when they want to make more money. They're negotiating their salary um, because I'm a trained salary negotiation facilitator. My clients have gotten between like ten to like fifty thousand dollar increases on their salaries, um, or they're coming to me because they feel stuck, like lackluster. I open my book saying that feeling when you like you look up the ceiling, look up the ceiling at your job, and you're like, why am I even here? Like I can't do it. Like they come to me when they feel like that, or they come to me when they feel like 
they finally, like the lights went on at their job and they're like, I'm ready to be a leader. Like sitting here and being number two or being overlooked for another project is not going to happen to me again. That's when they generally come to me so they can stop just having job after job and really build a career. And normally that comes with building out a career strategy. That makes so much sense. Yeah, I'm like, and we can all relate to the feeling of why am I here? What am I doing? What's my purpose? Mm -hmm. So you talked about leaders. Getting into some workplace trends, what trend would you say is hindering leaders today? And what trends are you seeing that are supporting great leadership? Hmm. What hinders great leadership is developing people outside of just doing their tasks. Hmm. I think when we think about management, we think about it just as managing people to do the work. The first chapter of my book is serving as a people leader is a privilege, not a rite of passage. Because many times people become managers because you have so much work. Like you need people to do the work because you got too much. You got your own job. You got to manage the people. And people just become these taskmasters. But true leaders are mentors. Mm -hmm. They are coaches. And they are unapologetically helping their workforce get ready for their next move and not trying to keep people where they are. And that is... That's the magic. That's where the magic happens. Like leaders who can do that, they retain their team. People are excited to work with them. People build out succession plans, even when they don't need it. All the things that managers complain about would probably be fixed if they actually developed their people and didn't just worry about tasks. Mm -hmm. That's so fair. And like so relatable because I think we've all been there at one point or another. And even from the other side, being the employee, what to expect from them because sometimes being um, new in in a space or just coming out of college you don't even know what a bad leader looks like so you're trusting them to guide you and sometimes we have to take our own accountability of how we need them to support us and show up for us. A hundred percent. I think it goes both ways because when I work with individuals, either coaching with me directly or in a group program that I have, I tell folks, you have to take control of your career. Like only you can change that trajectory. But imagine how it would be if you had your plan and your manager was helping mobilize the plan. That's where the synergy happens. I don't want people to feel like, oh, my manager's terrible. I got to sit here. It's like, no, 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 no. We move around that manager and we make it happen inside or outside of the organization. But if the managers could be better, people leave bad managers more than they leave companies. Mm -hmm. So there's so much weight on that manager role. Um, It really, there needs to be a lot more education. And I think on the company's defense, I think there's not really a lot of companies that have developed manager training programs. They're not sending people out to learn what it's like to manage people. They're saying, okay, well, it's time. You've been in this role three years. After you're an analyst, you're a manager, and now you manage people. And you just get thrown into it. So I think that it's a catch-22, right? Like people aren't taught how to be managers, but they got to be managers. Yeah. Right. We talk about this all the time on the podcast because we've all been in toxic situations with bad people managers and doing having to do extra work or more work to try to like figure that out so that we have the right experience and not just up and leaving a job, you know, because it is the people, right? So we talk about this all the time. <laughs> yeah. We sure do. Actually, for myself, um, I know a few people and I'm one of them who are trying to figure out like what's next in their career. Is there anything you recommend them doing to help get one clarity and um, like one or two immediate things that can be done? Cause I often hear the questions like, 
what does it look like to be intentional and how does one evolve themselves from example like a manager who is not properly you know creating that synergy from their end no definitely so first i want to speak to one other thing about that manager i think that it's important to manage up down and across so everyone has management responsibilities that's i think that's really important to just talk about just a teach because so many people feel like it's happening to them, but you can also manage a bad manager to make the situation better for yourself. And fun fact, that's honestly what my next book is going to be about. It's managing up, down, and across so that everybody knows how to lead in the workplace. I I'm still working love on that. It. I'm very excited. Very, very excited. Um, but about what you can do when you're looking to make that next move. I think there's, there's two methodologies that I want to talk about. Um, one is doing like a true assessment of where you are. Um, what's going well? what's not going well, what are your strengths, what are your opportunities, and what are your gaps? Because I believe in strengthening your strengths. You don't always have to like work on all the weaknesses, like only if the weaknesses align to where you wanna go, then we could work on them. But otherwise, like let's strengthen our strengths and work in our power and our zone of genius versus in a zone of incompetence. If, you've, if you're familiar with The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks, that's one of my favorite books. My favorite books too. <laughs> Yes, we want to stay. Zone I need of to get on it then. Yes, it's one of my favorites. We want to stay zone of excellence um, or zone of genius. Um, and the other thing that I ask people to do is an exercise really where you're taking the lid off the box. So when you're a nine to fiver, there's a box that you operate in. And whether or not you feel like it's a box, it is because every role has a container that you're in. Some people's box looks like an Amazon box where you don't even think your stuff is in it because it got beat up before it got to your door. Other mm -hmm. people, it could be this beautiful plexiglass, plush inside, West Elm crate and barrel decked out on the inside. It could be beautiful. But mm -hmm. the reality is like your role has a box because there's a governing body in some respect. And I think sometimes we can get so used to operating in that box that mm. we need to blow the top off to think about what is your actual vision? Where, if I could snap my fingers and put you wherever you want to be, where is that? And mm. then how can we reverse engineer that with a strategy? So when I work with my clients and we talk about this, I'm like, where do you want to be in 10 years? And okay, so to be there in 10 years, where do we need to be in five? Where do we need to be in two? And then what do we need to do in six month increments to get to that two-year plan? And a lot of that is assessing your gaps. Like what do we need to work on? What are the milestones you need to reach? The relationships that you need, the skills you need to build. It's a process. And I think mm -hmm. when you're feeling stuck and when you're frustrated, I think the mistake many folks make is that they make a move just because they don't want to be where they are. Mm. And then they back in the same place again because they've been exactly. in really Recycling jobs like old romantic partners. That's an analogy I always use. It's like, Woo! that's what happens. Like you just keep on dating the same person that's over and over again. And you don't understand why they're all trash. Right. Because right. you never actually thought about what you want. I'm not telling you to like, you know, go on hiatus. Like some people say, where like, I'm not dating anyone. I'm not doing anything. I'm just saying, take some time to think about it and create the plan. And that's the thing. A lot of people like, and we also talk about this a lot. A lot of people don't do like that self-work that they need to do. They don't sit with that and figure out like, what are their next steps? It's literally like trying to be in a hamster wheel of trying to like react versus taking that time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that gap piece is so clear. I think mm -hmm. between any two moves, there's where you are and where you'd like to be. That's Reflection. Between. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it could be non-existent because you're right there. You're just, you just need to apply because you're already qualified. Sometimes mm -hmm. it could be much larger. And it's like, how are you going to bridge what that gap is? 
you have to find a way because when you're in an interview setting and if you're not able to articulate what your gap is and align yourself to that role, you're not going to get the job. Right. So you have to figure that piece out too. Hey, that's interesting. Give me all the gems. I'm like in it. I'm like, do I need to hire you? I'm good. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. And you know what? I think this discussion is so timely because where we at with like COVID and yes. you know mandated vaccines and how people are repositioning themselves. I feel like this is a very valuable conversation so that people can try to just like reimagine. Sometimes you don't even know what's possible because like this box that you're in you can't see nothing else but what's inside. Oh, yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. So recently you reposted my leaks tweet, I believe. It said something around like, you aren't going to get a significant raise by simply doing the job. You're going to get paid the rate for the work, have to add value. And we want to know what exactly do you define as adding value? Oh, gosh, I love that. So Malik is one of my mentors. Um, She's amazing. She <laughs> She's my mentor in my head. Right, yeah. right. We don't know her, but she's we love her. Incredible. She kicked off my book tour with me, and she's someone who I love, who gives me the tough love that I need. Um, so absolutely love her. And I co-sign that 100%. I think people believe that they should get paid a number because they believe they should get paid that number. Mm-hmm. But it really is impact, value, and contribution. So when you look at your job and you look at your job description, I always recommend saving it so you can pull it back up. Are you doing your job? Yes. Okay. But what have you added to it? How have you improved upon it? How have you made systems easier? What value have you added? How has it impacted the business? How have you changed it and just made the company, your team function better? I have a um, a methodology that I do that kind of shares like the Gay Hendricks, like zone of incompetence, competence, excellence, and genius. And I overlay that with performance designations. So below expectations, meets expectations, exceeds, and distinguished. Many times, if you are just in meets expectations, so zone of competence, why are we paying you more? Why? You're doing your job. The bare minimum. Why? You have to do more. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people don't like to hear this. Like, well, why do I have to do more? I'll do more when I get paid more. But Mm. they don't know that you have the capability they don't, you haven't given them a little preview right. to showcase what you're able to do. You get paid for your contribution, your impact, your value. I'm big on maximizing the role that you're in before you even go to the next thing. You have to do a little bit there to prepare yourself for the next level. Right. And you would agree that there's a fine line, right? Like when someone is giving too much and mm-hmm. when they like kind of hold back because some people will, you know, give the preview and more. And still not like see the value that they're adding. Oh, hundred percent. I definitely think there there is a time and place where it's okay. Like you've shown them enough and you've performed, you've gotten that distinguished talent rating for Mm -hmm. whatever the amount of time is. Sometimes it's two years, sometimes it's two years and you keep on asking for the promotion. They didn't get it. Well, you know what? Sometimes you got to know when to go. Maybe it's time to leave and go to another company. Some companies it's easier to leave and come back. Maybe right. you need to go into a different team, reimagine things. I definitely think there is a time, but it's not, it's not one task. Let me tell you that <laughs> it's not one project. <laughs> it's not something quick. Like this is months of showcasing and aligning yourself to whatever that next level is. 
Right. And I think you use the key word there, impact. You know, I think that at least from speaking personally for myself, as I've continued to move up in my career, that word has started to be more in the forefront. Because when you first start a job, you know, you're not thinking too much about what impact you're going to have in the company. You're like, this is my job. This is what I do. This is what I get paid for. But yeah. as you continue to grow, you start to think, or if you're in a company that you really care about, you start to think about how can you help make things better? And what does that look like for you? So I think that was a key word that you mentioned there. Yeah, it's, I think it's about role mastery. I tell people, people are so excited to move to like the next, the next, the next, the next. It's like, have you even mastered where you are? Right. Have you? How are you supposed to get promoted if you haven't even mastered your area? And role mastery takes a different amount of time for different people. Every role is different. My right. last role in corporate, it was not something I could master in a year mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. It was more of a two to three Mm-hmm. And then with expanded responsibilities, expanded team, it could have naturally been promoted even higher because of where the, the breadth and the scope and the impact of the role was. Right. Some people literally, they're just turning out tasks. They get mastered in six months to a year and they could have outgrown it. Other right. people, it could be two, it could be five. The right. bigger the role, the longer it takes to master it, which means the longer it may take for you to make your next move. And really quick, just to add on to that, um, what happens when, for whatever reason, whether it's in your control or not, prematurely, you're not given that opportunity to master that role? Are you talking about being laid off? It could be. It could come in the form of that. For me personally, that's exactly what happened. That's, it's such a tough time. So I have to just acknowledge that's tough. Like mm-hmm. it's tough. It is less than, it's not ideal in any way, shape or form. You can't even say not ideal. It sucks. Right. Um, I think it's important that you are continuously focusing on the development of your career because mm-hmm. what I teach my clients is that career development isn't something you just do when you're ready to make a move. Career development is something that you're constantly focusing on. You're always building relationships, always connecting with professional associations so that when something like that happens, you have a network of folks to reach out to. Mm. As much as I could say that I am always a heads down, working on my stuff person, I'm right. also someone who has a little bit over here, like a little over here. I keep my relationships going. So when yep. things happen, I can 100% reach back out. You best believe I still talk to all my corporate mentors, all of them. Some of them have even asked me to come back or they've moved on and asked me to go where they're going. I've said no, because I'm working on my company, right. but- But the opportunity knows? is there. Yeah, The opportunity is there and I'm gonna keep it, ha- I'm gonna keep it going. Mm-hmm. Especially with COVID, that's taught us so much about just things happening unexpectedly and having to always be prepared. Absolutely. So I think it's if you were laid off and you didn't weren't preparing and you got to kind of catch up, then I think it's time with that extra time reaching out to your network, making those connections again so you can get going as fast as possible. And I think sometimes it doesn't have to be a full time. I think a lot of people have to go say, I want that full time. I want that full time. But I'm a big believer in bridge jobs, whether it's a contractor role to keep your skills up to date. Some people, they're volunteering to do things like that um, Mm -hmm. in the interim. And then once they land that full time, then they go back into it. But making sure you stay encouraged and stay active. That's perfect. All great tips. All things we say all the time, especially cultivating your network, because that's the biggest thing. You got to nurture it. Um, We want to get into some questions from our community because everyone's so excited to like hear from you. So some questions that we have here, we're going to kick off. One is, are cover letters still a thing? I feel like this is such a popular question. I did a a podcast um, with Let's Eat Grandma um, and they, all they do are documents. And I asked the same question too of of the person there. I think his name was Chris Villanueva. Um, And he said, yes, 
He said yes. Even I don't like writing cover letters. I hate cover letters. I just thought they were so ancient. Like, you know how they say you need to capture um, a recruiter like instantaneously on your resume? So I'm like, if we need to do that, do do they really want to read these cover letters? Like, So I think it's a yes and no. I think if you ask, it's still, people will, everybody hates them. Let's just say that. Everybody hates them. However, the good ones do so much. Mm. I think if you have anything spectacular that you want to call out, if you have a unique career transition that you want to explain, there's no way a resume can do that. Right. Ever. There's literally no way your resume can align no matter how well you write it, because just how you do a resume doesn't give you the room and the space to really Mm -hmm. tell that story. And a cover letter can do that. So I tell my clients, like, if you really want that job, pull out that cover letter, dust it off and make it good um, because it can help. I've also seen people where they're in between two candidates, love both of them, and they go back to the beginning. They're looking back at their resumes. They pull out the cover letters. They look at everything. And someone who took the time to diligently write that cover letter can have a little bit of edge. The fact is that we don't know sometimes. We don't. But if you really want something, go all out. Mm. One thing that someone shared with me that I thought it was just a good nugget for people writing cover letters is to not summarize what's on your resume. It oh no, something separate and like tell kind of like a story of your skill set rather than saying like the same thing reiterated. And I think oh, that's yeah. the yeah. No, it's, no one wants to read the same thing. We could read the resume for that. As someone who worked in right. talent acquisition and has edited a lot of cover letters, the ones that are phenomenal really dig into whatever the core facet of that job is. And they tell a little story. They reiterate those skills, tell where they learned it, dig into maybe a project that they did. And they end with that. Based upon my experience doing ABC, I would be able to do X, Y, Z if selected for this role. You have to get specific. Mm. That's a great tip for all those people who need to really pull out the cover letters. That's a great tip. Um, Our next question here is, what is a good question to ask when interviewing for an in-house position? Mm, A good question to ask when interviewing for an in-house. My favorite question really comes at the end. I always, the question most people forget to ask is, would you be able to share the next steps in this process in your timeline for hiring? Everybody Mm. always forgets. Why do people forget to ask that? I ask that immediately. And like, what are, like, how do you measure success in this role? Mm-hmm. And what is the first order of business that I'm going to be up against once I start? Right. That's I a big am. one. I think another question I would say is, um, is there anything that you're concerned about regarding my candidacy? Mm-hmm. I ask that all the time. <laughs> But people always forget these things, especially that next steps in the process. That's why I always say that because my clients will come back to me. Well, I'm really not sure when they're going to make a decision. Well, why not? You didn't ask. Right. Like, I need to know before we leave here what's happening. Yes. Yes. That's great. All right. The next one is how honest should you be in an exit interview? Hmm. So I think it's a very personal decision. I do think exit interviews are important Mm -hmm. and I think that they should be completed. Mm -hmm. However, I think there's a fine line between like leaving with grace Mm -hmm. and burning. Yes. (laughs) We're going to keep it professional. Yes. Maybe take away emotion, take out the emotion. 
Yes. I think similar to like how salary negotiation is not because you live in New York city and you're tired of living in your studio. It's because like the impact and the value, and that's why you need that higher salary. I think when you leave, it's really a fine line. I recommend keeping it to the facts. If you are going to state things, make sure that you have, um, I don't want to say documentation, but you have details on what happened and what needs to change. Um, But it's a really a personal decision if you want to light it up um, or if you just want to, you know, talk about a few unique scenarios in the office that you feel would be important to improve for future colleagues. I love that. And I love this question because I'm definitely someone who's like, I'm always doing an exit interview. Like you need oh, yeah. to hear everything that's happened in this role, good and bad. Yes. <laughs> and if you have a good HR, those exit interviews are really helpful. Yeah. Um, and that's the part that I think that companies probably need to think a little bit more on mm-hmm. about what happens. Because if you... It's valuable information. Yeah, it's valuable information. But if you can't handle it with trust and care and confidentiality, Mm. people aren't going to actually share. Right. So you have to be able to use it in impact change without throwing folks under the bus. Like if someone, if two people leave last month and the next month there's a whole overhaul and HR is all up in the department, who said it? You know who said it. (laughs) Like you have to have tact with it to, to create a culture of transparency where people can be open and honest. I love that. And so our last community question here is what are red flags that can be worked on with time and dedication? Red flags. So red flags for employees. Mm -hmm. So one of my top red flags is someone who can't fix their face on calls. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big one. I'm, I'm not saying you need to be stone cold, but I'm saying that as you're looking to move into more senior level roles, you're going to hear more alarming things. Right. So working on taking in that information and not doing all the emotions and the faces on the Zoom call or in person is really a leadership skill. It showcases executive presence. Mm-hmm. I think... A red flag is also someone who can't think strategically. And I think really practicing developing your ideas that help you get to flawless execution and get buy-in from senior stakeholders, that is something that's really important. I have a whole course, not course, a part of my program that I teach is like how to create and present strategic ideas because so many times people get their ideas stolen or they can't develop them enough. They can't anticipate mm-hmm. issues or they don't have a plan A, B, and C, all of those things. Um, another red flag. Wow, those are great. Um, I think presenting to different levels, like gain, gaining buy-in from your peers, from your direct leaders, from your skip leaders. I think that's also a red flag when someone isn't able to get any buy-in um, in the workplace, either for themselves as an individual or for their ideas. Yeah. Um, and that's something that can definitely be worked on over time. Myself included, I think I'm someone who I make, I build great relationships. I will say that. But when I'm like on a deadline and I'm driving to get something done, sometimes I don't care. I don't want to be getting buy-in. I don't want to socialize this. Socialize for what? I need it to be done. Um, But it's something I've had to work on um, a lot to socialize ideas, to gain buy-in because it makes the execution so much easier. That part, please. Like, it's so funny you say that because I'm literally dealing with that right now, my cover role of how many people do I have to socialize this with to get this done? But it is so important. It is like the number one important thing because if you can get those people on your team, then 
Mm-hmm. The sky's the limit for your project. Um, something I learned recently too was that when it comes to doing that, it's like if a meeting is coming up, try to set up a pre-meeting before yes. so you can create those relationships so that the buy-in is kind of almost like they they giving you the handoff during the meeting to like, hey, here's Delilah out on this great idea because you already kind of like coached them in. A hundred percent. And I have one more. Can I do one more? Yeah. I think so. One more I would say is red flags is being unable to anticipate your leader's needs. Mm-hmm. I think when you think about people getting promoted in the workplace and you think about the relationships that they have, so maybe it's not even your direct manager or your skip leader, but I think it takes a mature professional to be able to look and anticipate needs. Like sometimes we want to drive and do things our way, our way, our way. And we wonder why we're hitting so many roadblocks. Do you understand what your boss actually wants to see? Hmm. Do you understand how much easier it will be if you are able to augment your presentation or augment your style of doing something to get it through, but you still get to be yourself. So for example, the last job I worked in, if there wasn't a deck, you didn't, you weren't there. Like the conversation never happened. There Hmm. had to be a deck. My leader to this day, I joke and say that she is like the deck teacher. You need to work with her for a year at minimum to understand how to present your ideas in a deck and take people through a journey in your presentation. And everyone who came to my team, I remember I had someone who started in January before I left and I told her, I was like, all right, so you're not going to like me for the next 90 days because you will learn how to make a deck. For multiple reasons. One, you need it for yourself because I may not always be here. Mm. Two, it's great for any job you have after this, like period, when you can communicate your ideas in this way and create a polished body of work. And three, because your work will never go anywhere if you can't get your deck past my leader and I don't have the time to edit it for you. Like, <laughs> I can't. I'm not going to stand up all night doing your stuff. And it was brutal. But by the time I left, homegirl got it. I oh. remember when we sent it to my leader and she had no edits coming back. Wow. I was like, girl, we need to grab a drink. <laughs> like, I there needs to be some type of deck boot camp because people don't realize how important it is. Like, it, it's really tough. It really will make or break you in certain roles when you're trying to present ideas in a succinct way, but that you, you're not rambling and like people really understand what you're trying to sell. And understand how the person needs it. So my leader, like, it's got to be pristine how it looks. Mm-hmm. It has to follow a process, showcase a framework. There's different ways to do it. And I think that was just, if you were able to do the deck, you were able to get the idea passed because she had to see it that way because our CHRO also right. liked to see it that way. Versus if you're that person who just kept on coming to the meeting, well, I'm just going to say it in an email. I Didn't I say it in a one-on-one? It's like, no, you need to understand your leader's needs and how things go forth. And I think that's such a big red flag for someone who's trying to move up if they've never been able to understand that. Cause that really speaks to not even understand the needs of an organization, the company or department, if mm. you're so singularly focused on whatever it is you want. No, that's fair. And by that, that happens by way of a conversation, right? Like understand. Yeah. Or just, okay. Conversation and just paying attention. Mm-hmm. I'm paying attention. Just paying attention. Like I know and something for me, I always tell my team, if, if something is going down, just tell me. Yeah. I really don't care if I'm on vacation. I don't like surprises. Right. I don't. And if I were to walk into a meeting, it's like, oh, well, so-and-so didn't turn this in. We were waiting for it. Why didn't you tell me you didn't turn it in? Right. Don't let someone, I don't want to hear about you from someone else. Right. right. 
Like that was a, that was a thing for me. I was like, I've told you this time and time again. Just tell me because I will help you cover your tracks. <laughs> we'll help you do that, but I can't help you if you don't help me. Mm-hmm. Like every leader has like their thing, their nuance. I've mm-hmm. called one of my leaders when they were in Mexico one time because something came down from our CHRO and I knew if she went in that daggone email and saw that name and I didn't tell her first, right. it was going to be an issue for at least a month. I was like, let me just, I'm so sorry. I know you're probably drinking, but when you go in your email tonight, cause I know you will, this is what you'll see. This is what I'm doing. Enjoy your vacation. I'll call you if I really need you. Got it. So they know like the fire is getting put out before it's a blaze. Exactly. Everybody has their little thing. It's just understanding what is it that your leader needs to help build confidence in you. Mm-hmm. And like that you said, anticipation, because that's a good word. It's like being get, getting ahead of it and understanding, like observing and learning someone and really being able to anticipate those things is really important. We do it in romantic relationships. Like there's so it's many things. Everything. Exactly. We do it there. You know how to order the food for your partner, what they like, you know, what size clothes they wear, you know, how they like to put it on this way, you know, their cologne, their perfume, you know, all these things about your partner. Like when you're in the workplace, your peers and your leader, it's low key a partnership. Mm-hmm. It really is. We're um, like, key. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> we're like at the end, which is crazy. Cause I feel like this has been such a great conversation. And before we go, we do have to know a few things. We need to know one, what's your hashtag obsessed with? It could be a person, place, platform, anything. a tool. Yeah. Anything that's like kind of making things easy, breezy for you. Gosh, I feel like I always have 18 things to say. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Right now, I'm really obsessed with my health. So I go to a wellness studio in Manhattan called Gray Wellness. They're in Union Square. Um, I do acupuncture. I do yoga therapy. I do massage therapy. Um, It's been helping with a lot of like other like aches and pains that I have. And I feel like I'm getting old out in these streets. Um, I also, if you're an entrepreneur and you need help building out your back end, I work with SOS Advantage, um, Megan Galane. She literally came into my business. She's opening up the doors, all the closets, taking out the Christmas decorations, and she's fine-tuning my entire back end so it works like a machine. So even though I'm a small company, I'll be operating like a large company. Nice. Um, awesome. I think those two, those are my favorite. I'm obsessed with coffee. I'm obsessed with everything coffee right now. My favorite shop is Boss Blend in Newark, New Jersey. It's run by an Afro-Latina woman named Fly. And it's just incredible. I love all things coffee now to power me through my day. <laughs> nice. Are you based in Jersey? I am. I'm based in Newark, New Jersey. Okay, cool, cool. Might have to check out that coffee shop. Yes, yes. yes. And I'm going to need to like sidebar you to talk to you more about Newark because I may move to Jersey and I'm trying to like understand the land. Come on, Heather. Come on. (laughs) So I know, I know. I love New York, but you know, we'll see. Um, So let's get into our game. Delilah, you want to kick us off? Yes. Um, So this is how we like kind of unwind the episode and just get a little feel for you. So um, today's game is called Fit for Leadership, a game I'm building the best candidate. So I'll just throw these out and you'll choose from the or. So a person with unique skills or someone with great character? Who are we going with? Great character. Mm, Interesting. Okay, cool. The next one is having a mission for your team or having a mission for your organization? For your team. 
Like, um, I had a feeling you was going to say that too. <laughs> yes. And then um, we have great listener or a great executor. Oh, I'm really torn there. But my heart is saying executor. We had to make it hard. <laughs> yes, that's a good one. All right. The next one is married to the outcome or married to the process? My therapist is going to want me to say married to the process. So I guess that's the answer I'm going to give you. I heard, I'm going to tell her to listen to this episode. <laughs> like that's, that's what I'm supposed to say. Ayana, <laughs> you could jump in with the, the last one. All right. Helps to identify a problem or helps to identify a solution? Identify a solution. We love solution-oriented people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right, last two. Um, Big brand experience or startup experience? Oh. These are good. (laughs) They are. Because I feel like they're both so unique. Right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to say startup. Cool. And the last one cross-functional star or Steve Jobs entrepreneurial mindset? Cross-functional star. Yeah. Because we're collaborators at heart. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. That was so much fun. I can't believe we're at the end. This is it. That's all we have for you today. It is. And so I introduced you at the beginning of the episode. We close out with you introducing yourself and letting the people know who you are. And where they can find you. Oh, gosh. So I hope y'all have enjoyed it. Again, my name is Kimberly B. Cummings. I'm a career and leadership development expert, author of a brand new book called Next Move, Best Move, Transitioning into a Career You'll Love, and the founder of Manifest Yourself, a leadership development company. You can find me on all of the internet streets. So KimberlyBCummings.com for anything, speaking, coaching, book, et cetera. ManifestYourself.com if you're a company looking to hire someone to do some L&D work for you or consulting. And my favorite place, is probably Instagram. So Kim B. Cummings. But if you want to keep it professional, you can look up Kimberly B. Cummings on LinkedIn. Thank you so much, Kimberly. Like this was amazing. It's so great to have you. And we know our community is going to be like all over the gems that you dropped. Yay. Thank you. I'm going to run this episode back and take down notes. Okay. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Thank you so much. And that's it for us. Until next time. Thanks for tuning in to Non-Corporate Girls Podcast. We're headed back into our nine to five tomorrow, but don't forget you're five to nine. I'm Delilah and you can follow me at Miss Delilah C. And I'm Ayana. Follow me at the underscore Aya underscore brand. Don't forget to follow the podcast at Non-Corporate Girls on your favorite streaming platform and sign up to our newsletter to stay in the know. Until next time.